Ready, set, go. <laughs> Welcome back, friends, nerds, librarians, and all you ilk to episode 46 of the SS Librarianship podcast. Me! I was extra excited about this one. A, because we've yeah. been away for a couple weeks. Yeah, sorry <laughs> and, about that, kids. Uh, <laughs> uh, my fault. What are you going to do? Um, and and B, because we have Nadia back on the show, and this is yeah. so exciting. So um, our good friend and uh, former classmate, Nadia Stennis-Spiedel, is back in the States uh, after her SLACE education, and she's working for Mount Mercy University in Iowa as their academic technology librarian. Which, as soon as we heard it, we were like, we need to know more about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, we've got her joining us for um, a nice mind grapes today. A nice, big, long one, actually. We all had lots yeah. to say, which was great. And uh, and then we delve into, like, what an academic technology librarian is. And at an institution as relatively small as Mount Mercy, like, mm-hmm. what do they do exactly? It's 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 a real sort of like uh, like triumph story, I think, because, you know, she left library school, uh, was underemployed for a little while, but then landed this amazing position that seems to line up so beautifully with her skills and her uh, her passions. So yeah, and her values as well. And her right? values. I mean, she talks a lot yeah. about like the mission statement of the school really being part of the reason she wanted to work there. And that's it's not that rare in librarianship for that to line up. But it's so great when it does. Mm hmm. So without further ado, let's get this magical story started. <laughs> I'm Allie Sullivan and drink up checkers, forget what you saw. <laughs> and I'm Sam Mills and a huge earthquake happens. Who do they rescue first? Actors, the rescue Clooney, Sandra Bullock, me. If there's room, you guys will come. So Sam, what's on your mind grapes this week? Uh, something that I actually <clears throat> finished a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. but I've sort of been thinking about it and how kind of disappointing it was. <laughs> oh no! I'd like to share that disappointment with everyone else. So, um, I recently read "We Are Not Ourselves" by Matthew Thomas. Didn't you talk is... about that on last week's show with um? Because you were comparing it to Jen Suk Fong Lee's book, right? Yeah. So I mentioned yeah. it briefly when we were talking about Jen Suk Fong Lee. And at that point, I was still reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so what happened was, as you do these days, um, I read like a little preview of the ebook. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the first couple of chapters were so beautifully written and so compelling. And I was really interested in this main character, Eileen. Um, and so I decided to buy it. And I almost never buy <laughs> hardcover books, um, especially not brand new. But uh, I went and I bought it. I, I bought it at Book Warehouse because I wanted, you know, indie bookstores to get my money. Um, mm-hmm. But I did pay the full price. And I read the whole thing. Um, and it definitely did not turn out to be as as compelling <laughs> as it was in the beginning. Oh, um, no. So it's sort of it was sold as this like family saga of this mm-hmm. woman, um, Eileen, Eileen Leary. I think she was born, which ends up as Eileen Tumulty. Um, and she was born to like 
Irish immigrants in the, I guess, 50s. And it sort of follows her life. Um, and the beginning is really interesting. It's her as a kid, sort of observing the adults around her. Um, her father, whose name, of course, is Big Mike. Um, <laughs> is, <laughs> it's a good name uh, for dad. Yeah, well, especially like an Irish dad, right? And right. he's... Um, He's not, you know, like he's not like mobbed up or anything, but he's definitely the guy in the neighborhood that like everyone comes to with their problems. And he's mm-hmm. very honorable in his way, but also like a big drinker and has issues with his wife. And um, and so watching her kind of observe the world around her and decide she wants better for herself is really interesting. And the the writing is just beautiful. It's hard to pick out particular lines that were really, I mean, I'm sure if I went back through the book, some of them would pop out at me again, but it just... Thomas really has this keen eye for like comparisons and sort of interesting descriptions of, of aspects of relationships that you hadn't thought about before. Mm. Um, But then you keep reading it and um, Eileen becomes this sort of like upwardly mobile, but just barely sort of obsessed with like getting ahead and with her brand of the American dream. Um, And she's, you feel a bit of sympathy for her, but she also sort of, becomes more and more like sociopathic about her oh, no. like upward rise mm-hmm. and um you know she genuinely does fall in love with the man that she marries but she also marries him because she feels like he might be her ticket out of this sort of poor existence that she grew up in mm. um which he mm. sort of ends up being but not really um in the in the end you do have some empathy for her but that really only happened for me in the very end like i could really only connect with her by the very end when she was starting to overcome some of her prejudices about like the um, the multicultural nature of this neighborhood that she had once, you know, lived in during its its white heyday, in her opinion. Mm. And uh, it slowly, you know, goes downhill slash like becomes like every other neighborhood and every other city in the world now. Right. Um, <clears throat> but. I don't know. If you're honest with yourself, you relate to some of her baser impulses for sort of getting ahead and getting what she wants throughout. But she's not the most empathetic character, for sure. So is there a racial element to that? Um, There's definitely a big racial element to that. And Mm -hmm. he does a good job of sort of showing you how that works in her mind. (laughs) Um, And Mm. it's not a hateful thing. It's just that she, well, not in her opinion anyway. Um, It's just that she sees these people and their different way of life. Um juxtaposed with like the buildings that had once been new in this neighborhood starting to not be so new anymore and she sees it all as being connected and being you know causal to each other and whatever um and i mean she really does start from nothing and so in some ways it's a more honest like portrayal of this sort of american dream story than say another one of these big family sagas like um this book was being compared to jonathan franzen's books when it first came out Mm -hmm. and i hated freedom by jonathan franzen in large part because like it's just these sort of already wealthy upper middle class people in like connecticut or something whining about their lives right and and they kind of they start like you know part way up the ladder and so Mm -hmm. it's not as compelling as someone like eileen but um, I don't know. I This might be a mild spoiler. So if you're still planning to read this book, I guess maybe like skip ahead a bit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you think that it's going to be this sort of portrait of, um, of America, of marriage, of the middle class in a more universal way. 
Mm. And then her husband's behavior, which at first is just a little erratic and he's sort of, he might have like some kind of OCD or something and he's really obsessed with certain aspects of his job and very stressed out all the time. Um, it turns out that he has Alzheimer's, like early onset Alzheimer's. Oh, no. <laughs> and so all of a sudden it becomes this book about Alzheimer's. <laughs> and oh. you really aren't expecting it. Um and it happens fairly early on. I mean, I'd say over half the book is this, and it still sort of it still covers like their almost their entire lives, certainly his entire life. Um, but it kind of it throws a wrench into this whole portrait, and in a way, it felt like cheating. It felt like mm. because Eileen has to deal with Ed's Alzheimer's, and she's a nurse, and she's very capable in that way. Mm-hmm. It's sort of it. It makes her more sympathetic than really as a, as a person oh. she has any right to be, mm. um, because you do feel bad for her having to like deal with her husband and and balance mm. her the kind of life that she wants and the money she's saved and whatever against like taking care of him. Um, mm. And to her credit, she does try really hard to keep him at home as long as she can. Um, but yeah, that was uh, mm. not something I was expecting. And I think if Does. I'd known going in that like half the novel was about dealing with Alzheimer's, I might not have been so attracted to reading it. Mm. Does it stick with her family at all? Like, do they have other things to do with the story or do they kind of No, disappear? her parents disappear really early just because oh. of the time jumps in the story. And so that was disappointing, too, because I was really interested in them. They were part of what mm-hmm. grabbed me at the beginning. I almost would have rather have gone back in time and read their story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I was just wondering, like, does her child view kind of carry over? Does it sort of explain her views as an adult at all? Or Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the things she sees around her as a kid and <clears throat> her desire to get out of this situation that she's in as a kid and living in one room with her parents and all that kind of stuff very transparently like is why she wants the big house in the suburbs and the wealthy husband and and all of those things um Mm. she also they have a kid her and ed and um he was he annoyed me too (laughs) (laughs) i felt like again this is probably a spoiler (laughs) um but if you're gonna read it you've probably already read it it's been out for a little bit Mm -hmm. uh he's he's basically a millennial i guess like the sort of period of time that the book covers is about right i think he's born in the 80s mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um he seems like sort of an indictment of millennials but also sort of an explanation for them like he's how original he's a lot exactly <laughs> right he's a lot more like simultaneously sort of um spoiled but also doesn't get a ton of affection especially not from his mother who's not Mm. like who didn't get a lot of affection as a kid and so doesn't Mm. really you know she sees it as sort of being soft and she doesn't want to she never hugs him (laughs) um things like that so all uh, of the entitlement none of the praise yeah well no he gets the praise um especially from his dad before Mm -hmm. his dad starts to get sick but he I don't know. He's a weird character, too. Like, I feel like more could have been done with him or I feel like a braver move would have been to have him reap more of the consequences of his actions. Like, Mm. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that happens to him as a kid is is very sympathetic. Like he, you know, he wants to be cool. And so he ditches some of his friends or he, you know, engages in like racist pranks against people who were his friends. Um and things like that. And you can you can see a, a kid being pressured into doing those things. But then he becomes a teenager and then he becomes a young adult and he really becomes this person who like 
he kind of abandons his mother and the care of his father and mm. just kind of, you know, wanders around sleeping with random people and quits <laughs> school for no reason, like just before graduating and then works as a doorman for a while. And you're just like, you hmm. don't really have the like there's nothing in your background that explains what a giant jackass you're being. He's just Except kind of an unlikable character. But like, it, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't read it. it. It seems to me like, well, her her big obsession was like crawling her way up out of the out of the bottom, right? And mm-hmm. to him, that's not something he maybe really saw, and so his he doesn't appreciate the things he has around him. I'm saying like, this is a this is a you know. Uh, a trite denigration of the, <laughs> uh, you know, things they say about our generation. Like we don't have as much ambition as our parents, blah, 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 stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I see where you're coming from with that, but I don't, I still don't really buy it for Connell's character. Mm. He's, yeah, he sort of, he definitely stalls out and maybe that's a commentary on millennials. But the thing is that then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he gets actually a pretty happy ending. Uh-huh. And you're just like, you were such a horrible, like, not even a horrible kid, a horrible young adult. <laughs> and you abandoned your father, who was actually a really good father to you. And like, and now all of a sudden you get this? Like, I don't understand why this is happening. So <laughs> I don't know. I In the end, it definitely was annoying. Like, the writing was beautiful enough that... I read the entire thing <laughs> and mm-hmm. I have no qualms about putting down books. Like I will stop reading a book if it's not grabbing yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I did finish it, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't read it again and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it if you've got other things you're interested in reading. <laughs> and, Good um, to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it also made me wonder, and this is going to probably sound kind of like bigoted, um, but I think it's a legitimate question. I wondered how a woman would have written Eileen mm. and, mm. and if she would have been any different, if there would have been different aspects of her experience that were emphasized, mm. um, if she would have maybe had a slightly different perspective on her marriage or on her husband's decline or whatever it felt you, f- you felt a little arm's length from her almost the entire time. Mm. And I wondered how much of that came from the fact that she was being written by a man. And I mean, I've read, male portrayals of really compelling female characters before us. I'm not saying they can't do it, but, uh, (laughs) but I did think about that as well. Interesting. Um, But yeah, so now you know what you're getting into. So if you still want to read it, like it definitely is a very buzzy book right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I know I've heard of it. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't read it again. And I had to hesitate to read anything else by him. Mm. Interesting. Mm. What about you, Nadia? Yeah, so um, I've been reading, actually for a long time it feels like, I've been reading this uh, online web serial called, I guess online and web is a little redundant, but um, <laughs> it's it's called Worm, um, and it's about superheroes, but um, it's it's pretty great. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not done with it yet, and I keep thinking I'm about done with it, and then I look at the table of contents again and I realize that I'm still ages away from the end of the story <laughs> but um but it's it's really cool the, the actually the way that i found it was i don't know if you guys have read uh, any of harry potter and the methods of Rash- rationality but it's you know this no. alternate universe harry potter um <laughs> where he's a rationalist where Aunt petunia 
married a professor instead of a drill bit man. Um, And so anyway, it's it's really fun. It's very uh, it's promoting rationalism is kind of the idea behind it. Like what happens if a rationalist gets thrown into Hogwarts? What does he do? Hmm. Um, Interesting. But so so that author is, of course, you know, really interested in rationality. And so he recommended Worm as uh, the way that he imagines that superpowers would actually play out if they just kind of appeared on the scene. And it is a really cool story. So it's, um, you know, it's teen superheroes, but there there's a lot of darkness to it. And um, it's it's a really exciting. I don't know. It's really exciting because the way that most of the of the parahumans of the people with powers get their powers is through trauma. So, mm-hmm. um, they have these trigger events they're called. And so, you know, things like abusive parents or siblings committing suicide or, um, the main character is bullied, um, relentlessly and gets superpowers. So it's really interesting because you have all these people who suddenly have incredible power, but also incredible, trauma that they're dealing with and so there are a lot more villains than there are heroes um because of just the way that everyone is processing emotions and things like that so um it's yeah it's it's really it's a really interesting one and the main character taylor is so her superpower is that she controls bugs like insects and spiders (laughs) so and then you know (laughs) <laughs> so when she gets her power, she's she's sort of annoyed. She's you know it's like this is the <laughs> lamest superpower, but ever. But, but clearly she's never played D and D because have you ever dealt with a swarm in D and D? Exactly, you right? Can't kill those things. Exactly, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> is it yeah. like is it common knowledge that that this is happening to people? Yes, yeah. So um, in this in this world, there there sort of were these heroes that appeared. Um, and the first ones just seemed to sort of appear, but then the trigger event started happening. Hmm. Um, so by the time that Taylor gets hers, the super, the, the, the heroes, the powered people, powerful people have been around for something like 10 or 20 years. Okay. So, but, you know, of course they always want to keep their civilian identity secret. And often the trigger events are of, of course very private because, they're usually incredibly traumatic. Hmm. So um, even within her team, they not everybody shares their their trigger event, you know, and when they because when they do, I mean, they're, you know, it's it's, it's, it's this big deal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is there any relationship between what the power ends up being and the event itself? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so, for example, I mean, her trigger event was related to her bullying, um, and she was she was trapped um, in a locker with. I mean, it's really gross. Like she was trapped in a locker with like feminine hygiene products. It's super icky, mm. and so you know, like stinky and gross and germy, and so like she feels very small and like a bug, basically, oh. um, stuck in with trash, and so you know that's kind of related. Um, And often historically related. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And there's another character who's 
she's kind of she's like a druid a little bit, but she controls dogs. Um, and that's because she was she grew up in foster care and she had this close relationship with a dog. And then her um, she had this evil foster mother and the foster mother tried to, like, get rid of the dog. And then this her power triggered. And so the she kind of gives dogs power. <laughs> um, so it's really yeah, it's really interesting. I'm I'm like scattering spoilers left and right i'm realizing now like, oh, wait, <laughs> we'll put a big you giant don't... spoiler wording on this whole episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's i mean it's just it's really it's really interesting um but then yeah so there are all these different people who are yeah they have these relationships and there's different types of power so they they have a like categorization for what the powers look like. Mm-hmm. So there's there's masters who control either animals or people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like shakers and tinkers and thinkers, which are really interesting. So tinkers are, you know, like you think of, I don't know, a kind of classic supervillain with, you know, mm-hmm. they're like big devices that are going to do crazy things. So that's kind of a tinker thing. Mm-hmm. And tinkers are interesting because, of course, their power is is in building and creating things. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, in a fight, if there's something that interferes with their devices, they kind of <laughs> fall apart, but usually their devices break reality in pretty major ways. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and like if, uh, thinkers are, you know, able to like make connections and see bigger parts of the picture or smaller parts of the picture, things like that. There's some okay. precogs, things like that. It's really cool. Um, and sorry, what's the format of this? Like it's online, but is it just writing or is it a comic? It's just writing. Wow. Um, so it's it's complete now, which is I didn't start reading it until it was complete. But I think, you know, it was kind of published like a webcomic would be with like okay. an episode every week or every few days. Um, well, this is yeah. like web serials are hugely popular in Asian countries, if I'm not mistaken. I can like see that. Know. Most most novels these days over there are not read, um, you know, the way we would read them in, in, you know, full book format because they're always read in short bursts on cell phones, on trains, during transit or waiting or something. That's so interesting because yeah. that's definitely a swing back to like what novels were yeah. when, when the novel right. first became a thing. Yeah, Dickens. like Victorian serials, that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it is funny. So I'm, I'm reading it on my phone. Partly because I am, you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with syncing my Chrome across all my devices because, you yeah. know, the things I look at at work are completely different from what I look at at home and I don't really <laughs> want to carry them into each other. Yeah, I have also <laughs> not synced my, like, work Firefox with my home Firefox. That's no. totally yeah. true. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but so I always I feel I feel like such a stereotypical millennial because I'll be sitting at lunch looking at my phone and then like one of my bosses or not bosses, one of my coworkers, I should say, um, you know, he's we often are like going to lunch around the same time and I'll be sitting there looking at my phone and he's like, you know, kind of shakes his head like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like I'm reading. Kind of I'm reading a like, book. I'm reading a book. It's a book. I promise. <laughs> I kind of felt like that last night when I was at this Ira Glass show because I went by myself. And of course, nobody else there was by themselves. Right. Everyone was chatting with their friends before the show started. So I just started reading what I'm reading. But it happened to be on my phone. And so that's yeah. totally what I looked like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. It's. It was funny. I'm, I'm doing a project at work that involves looking at some mobile applications. And so uh, I've been downloading things on my phone to play with them for the library. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like I'm sitting at my desk, like <laughs> playing with my phone on work time. Yep. Yes, like, I do the same no, thing. I'm working yeah. for you. 
I and, promise. Yeah, and libraries, this is a total tangent, but like libraries as a work environment seem to be getting over that slightly faster than other places. But yeah, there's still that stigma there. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, mm. it's a, I don't know. Well, and the interesting thing with a web serial, so I mean, it's available for free on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible, but it's interesting because I was thinking like, you know, if I was a youth librarian, like a YA librarian, I would love to recommend this, but you know, how do you recommend it? through your like you don't want to link to well I guess you could just link to it but then I don't know I mean most catalogs like including the VPL catalog where we work is it definitely has the capability to like create a record for a link but it's still not widely done you're totally right and things like um podcasts right yeah (laughs) it's so hard to sort of make part of any kind of content how do you how do we add those as discovery portals for libraries that's that's a really interesting question Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's just so. It's such yeah, an interesting problem. No, I've, yeah. I've been actually I've been thinking about doing some research into like how or if um, catalog records are being used elsewhere on the web. So mm-hmm. that's another oh, interesting yeah. aspect of that we should revisit in a future episode. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I uh, I definitely recommend the story. It is you know end of the world, saving the world, uh, huh. darkness, antihero, all the like fun buzzy things about superpowers Mm -hmm. with Mm. with like a genuine interest in the the civilian identities as well Um, oh that's awesome yeah that's great (laughs) like a lot of fun i'm gonna check that out totally yeah yeah it's it's a lot of it's great (laughs) traditional hardcover books have failed me so time to start reading (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a and it's a good one. It's probably a good one to read on a tablet, frankly. It's, um, yeah. My phone is a little small for it. But. <laughs> so, Allie, what about you? Well, I'm in kind of a weird liminal place for Mind Grapes yeah. <laughs> right now. Because I'm kind of halfway through a couple of things. And I don't know if I'm really ready to say much about them. Hmm. Um, I do want to plug one uh, major project uh, that a couple of my friends are doing. Um, so, uh, one of my closest friends from high school is, uh, named Bronwyn McIver and she is an absolutely incredible artist. Like people, people may know her from our, um, gorgeous website background for us. Yeah. She's the one who, who painted our website background. So, um, she's incredible. She's one of my closest friends and like her, she's so, she's so amazing at art that it makes you angry. Sometimes. <laughs> like you look at, you're like, no one should be allowed to be this talented. Um, <laughs> but she's incredible. And so I want to plug a project that she's doing. So she's got several websites where she shares her art, sells her art, that kind of thing. But she's doing one particular project right now. That's really interesting. It's called, uh, the townsfolk. And what she's done is she's done these illustrations, um, done these drawings, and then is asking people to uh, write short pieces based on the drawings. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. It's like an old timey, like, um, you know, short story magazine. Yeah. So um, it's the the website for that is the townsfolk.blogspot.ca. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the writers so far have uh, been uh, my other friend, Adina Bronze, who is a librarian who should be on the podcast fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so she's written some pieces. Uh, our other friend, Hannah Baker, who's a lawyer in Boston, she has written a couple of pieces as well. 
and a, a fellow named Matthew Brennan, who's who's a writer in the Pacific Northwest here as well. Um, I have been commissioned to write a piece, awesome. <laughs> which isn't up yet, but I've chosen which drawing I'm going to be writing on. So, um, yeah, they're really incredible. Bronwyn's illustrations are like they're chilling and weird and um, they're on right now. They're inspired by paper that she's like done things to. So she took a sketchbook and then like treated all of the paper in the sketchbook and is now writing on top of the treatment or drawing on top of the treatments. And it makes the images really weird and crazy. So um, I would definitely uh, check out the townsfolk. If, uh, if there's a drawing that you like that doesn't have anything written for it, um, you're more than welcome to write something and send it to her. She would be delighted. Um, so it's really, it's really hard to kind of explain over a podcast because it's such a visual thing, but her, her illustrations are like weird and chilling and amazing. And, um, yeah, so that's one thing I definitely wanted to plug and, uh, to get people to go look at. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. And, uh, and write for if, if they are so inclined. Awesome. But I guess in terms of things I'm halfway through, I'm also reading this week. Um, kind of. Can you, I think they've established on Book Riot that you read audiobooks, right? Yeah, I feel like oh. several podcasts, Book Riot and My Brother, My Brother and Me. And there's been a bunch of people who've dealt with the issue of like, if you've listened to something, can you say that you've read it? I think you can. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It seems like it should count. Yeah. I think it should. Because, you know, I'm, I'm consuming the story and I'm thinking about it. So what does it matter? Yeah. What? format but anyway so um i've been listening to the audiobook of the maze runner hmm. uh just because hmm. I th- i'm thinking about seeing the movie even though i know it's not getting great reviews but um but i wanted to 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 read it before i saw it and i'm having a lot of trouble i'm about halfway through and i'm it's compelling and everything i don't want to give it up or anything but um i can't tell if i'm not enjoying it because i don't really like the story or if I really hate the voice of the guy who's oh, reading it. Oh, yeah. So, and that throws a wrench into the whole reading and listening are the same thing. Right? Yeah. No, I don't think they're reading and listening maybe. are the same. I was just looking for the vocabulary. But um, mm. but it's uh, it's funny because, you know, uh, so Maze Runner is the story told from the perspective of about a 16-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And it's a full-grown man reading it, which I wouldn't have any problem with. Um except for the fact that he is giving the characters their own voices <laughs> and Uh-oh. not necessarily doing a very good job of it. <laughs> oh. I kind of actually do have a problem with that. I'm reading this that book as well right now, but I'm just reading it. Um, mm-hmm. But there are so many talented like young actors out there who could probably yeah. do a great job of actually reading in a 16-year-old voice. That's kind of a weird choice, actually. Yeah, and... Yeah. and- And, you know, like, so um, one of the characters, Albie, is supposed to have some kind of like he's described as having a strange accent. And in the movie, I think it's Freddie Highmore. So they're probably making him, you know, British. The choice (laughs) of Freddie Highmore actually getting to be British in something is sort of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think but this this actor, this voice actor has chosen to give him like a strange Irish accent or Scottish. Uh-oh. I can't tell because it's really poorly done. Maybe he thinks he's doing an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's trying to be Australian. I don't know. No, he's definitely not doing that because he says things like like tink and tot. So I think it's supposed to be uh, Irish. Uh, 
But um, and then the other character, uh, sorry, Newt. Newt is the one who. I was just going to ask you if it was maybe Newt you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know it was Newt. Um, but Albie, he gives Albie's another character. He gives like a weird Southern accent, and there's an Asian runner that he gives kind of a vaguely Asian cadence to his voice, and I'm a little bit like, is that racist? Well, and also you're sort of th- that's a really interesting issue because yeah. you're sort of coloring the reader's interpretation of the characters right and there's definitely Mm. I don't know whether it's a conscious thing or not but there has emerged this tradition in YA lit of not really like giving characters an overt ethnicity a lot of the time yeah if you look at like John Green's books I know there was some discussion about that recently or um, Suzanne Collins's books like often people's ethnicities are not really described and so the reader can sort of project onto them which is cool i'm sorry rue was always black yes that's true not no yeah not every single character yeah (laughs) well oh what was the joke you know the like oh yes she's olive skinned so that in the book she can be some kind of vague ethnically different ambiguous thing but but she's definitely a white actress yeah Yeah. yes but um it definitely can backfire but that's weird that he's sort of making the choice as a narrator and then forcing it on you yeah, well, I think Albie is supposed to be black. Hmm. Because his skin is always described as dark when it's not being pale. So I don't know. And that's like something I always have trouble with when I'm writing, too, because like I'm, I'm writing a thing right now and one of my characters is is Asian. And I'm like, but I, I don't know how to describe that without seeming stereotyping, you know, mm. it's. Um, and then there's there's always the problem, too, of, of writers describing characters of color using food. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, you never hear like, oh, her skin was the color of cheesecake and delightfully creamy. And like, you yeah. don't hear that as often as the cafe a lot, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can, anyway, I can so- point you to some blogs alley later that have some okay. good advice about things like that. <laughs> that would be great. Cause I'm having trouble because <laughs> I read it. I read, we have a writing group and I read the thing I'm writing. I'm like, so you get that this character's Asian and people were like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Um, so I need to work on that. But um, but yeah, back to, to Maze Runner. And um, yeah, so Min Ho is the character. And so he uh, gives him kind of this weird sort of Asian-y cadence. And I don't really know what to do with it. The one that's annoying me the absolute most, though, is the woman or the girl. Oh, there's, no. there's one girl in the book. And uh, he does like a distinctly kind of put upon feminine thing. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how the first time she spoke, I was like, oh, dear God, really? Uh, so he kind of just makes it sound like this. And I'm like, oh, oh God. The worst. so um, as far as the actual story goes, I, you know, I have problems with it, but I, I'm, I'm waiting to see if those problems are explained before I decide to condemn or, you know, put up the story so hmm. yeah yeah no, I, I really i love podcasts but i cannot get into audiobooks most of the time I, and that's the audiobooks yeah. the audiobooks that i have been able to get into um the most are memoirs read by the person who wrote them. yeah like i was oh. just gonna say the only audiobooks that i love and will go back to and and listen to are douglas adams before he mm-hmm. passed away did audiobooks of every single novel he ever wrote and those yeah. are incredible oh, awesome. because they're him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like Neil Gaiman does great audiobooks and like, yeah. And um, 
uh, my favorite was Mindy Kaling. Uh, right. Her is everybody hanging out without me is an amazing audiobook because she's Mindy uh, Kaling. So, <laughs> well, and her also voice. even if it sounds weird, if it's the author reading it, you can be like, okay, I guess that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've been trying audiobooks a little bit more just because my my commute to to the university is is so long, but mm. I don't know. Let's see. Um the other one I'm halfway through uh is incredible. I'm really enjoying it. It's like my um it's my lunchtime get away from the computer book mm-hmm. that I have in my bag or like when I'm like waiting for cuz I can't um I can't read on moving vehicles. Oh. Yeah, I, I get I get really nauseated. So, um, <laughs> so that's that's why I listen to so many podcasts and I'm trying out audiobooks as a thing. But it's my like, you know, it's lunchtime. I'm gonna go find a corner and eat a sandwich and read my book. And I'm reading American Gods for the first time. <gasps> oh, nice. It is. I love it. It's so good. I I honestly I have trouble putting it down. And I'm like trying to keep it as my 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 book when I'm eating lunch. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying not to do it at home, but it's really hard because, oh, my God, it's amazing. And um, Brian Fuller is doing a TV show uh, with it. Oh, interesting. They're actually casting Shadow as a Native American actor, which I'm so excited about. So I definitely I also there's another one I wanted to like read before before it really gets to it. But I think I need to I think that one is one that I definitely need to read completely and then marinate on. And then talk about yeah, and it's yeah. it's definitely one that you can. I mean, I'm a big rereader anyway, but you can come you can come back to it. Like mm-hmm. I read it a very very long time ago and enjoyed it, and then I read it again maybe like five years ago and enjoyed it. And actually, I could probably read it again now. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I I actually read it um, in the context of I had just gotten done with my year or my semester abroad in Denmark, and I took a class on European storytelling and um, Nordic mythology, and so both perfect. what. Exactly. Yeah. So the the instructors both for both of those classes were like, American Gods is this amazing thing. You will you'll understand it so much more because of these classes. And so I read it on the plane home, I think, and I I finished it on the plane home because it was a very long flight. But (laughs) yeah, it was a a, one of my favorites. Yeah, Ali, you'll have to report back into us when you've gotten through it. Yeah, I'll have to give you part two when uh, and then you can be our lens for the for the series. Sure, can yeah. do. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's our mind grapes. Awesome. Yeah, um, and I love that we have like a new format this week. We've got a couple of books, but like a web serial is something I don't think we've discussed before. So yeah. So maybe Very that'll cool. have to be my next my next lunchtime book. <laughs> yeah, it's a good it's a good lunchtime book, definitely. <laughs> so this week on Class Z, we have a wonderful return guest for you. Yay, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'll recall, uh, Nadia uh, Stennis-Spital was on our episode about the uh, Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame Library Archive, um, where she did an internship a couple of summers ago. Which is still one of my favorite episodes, by the way. Mine too. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Because I had so was, much fun being on. Yeah, it, it was something I know absolutely nothing about, and so to to talk to it's always fun to talk to someone who knows a lot about it and is also super passionate and also super willing to share. So, mm. um, yeah, that was it's one of my favorites as well. Uh, so Nadia, you kind of uh, blasted through the program at Slice and got it done as quickly as possible. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's expensive, you guys. Yeah. It's <laughs> a true story. <laughs> um, but now you have this like amazing sounding job 
I guess not really back home, but back home in the sense of you're back in the States. I can drive home. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tell us what your job title is. So I am the academic technology librarian at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of giving the full context. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So tell us a bit about like, about what that, what, what that entails. Um, yeah, so it's it's actually really interesting. The, the first time I explained my job to a friend um, from back home, he's like, so you're in IT, right? Like, that's that's what you're describing to me. Um, so basically, what I would call myself is a squishware specialist. I work with faculty um, and students on how to use technology in their classrooms. Huh, that sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's a lot of um, problem solving, which I like. I, I really like puzzles and there are a lot of puzzles. Um, so I'm, and, and I'm also sort of the administrator for the learning management system. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a blackboard system. Okay. And I'm kind of the, you know, the one that people call when they're like, I can't log in. I, my classes have all disappeared. You know, <laughs> I don't exist in the system. Who am I? Um, <laughs> things like that. So, yeah. Can you give us an example of like, like, so a problem that you've had to help someone solve? Um, well, there have, so there have been a lot <laughs> just because, you know, it's computers and it's a big enough system and a small enough system so that I'm the only one kind of behind the scenes. But there are still, you know, thousands, more than a thousand, almost 2000 people in the system. Um, but that, one that was that's students included. Yep, including yeah. students. So, yeah. Um, so one that I had just recently actually was a an instructor who wanted to have a teaching assistant, but he didn't want the teaching assistant to have access to the grades. He wanted her to be able to, you know, create content, upload readings for students, but he didn't want her to see how, you know, those 22 students were doing just for FERPA reasons or violations of privacy, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which I really respected actually that he was, you know, very forthright about that. Like, I just, I want her to be able to access this. So it, it was definitely one of those, you know, working around the system because the system basically has, I mean, it has, you know, eight or so roles, but mm-hmm. if you aren't a student, you have access to the grades. So te- like there is a teaching assistant role, but it's, it's a grading assistant. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, they have access to the grades. Um, you know, there's a, uh, editor, course editor, things like that. And anything higher than student has access to the gr- the participants' scores and grades. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we ended up creating a little side page for her to upload things onto that was linked in to the page. And yeah, it's uh, it's fun. I don't know. <laughs> uh-uh. So like how much access do you have in terms of modifying that system that you, that your institution has purchased? Like could yeah. you actually have created a new role for her or is that why you did the workaround with the extra page? Yeah, I actually did create a oh, okay. new role for her so that she had access to this repository and could create things there. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was a I made the student assistant role <laughs> <laughs> because it really should have existed a long time ago. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe someone else will need that in the future and it'll take five minutes rather than a day and a half to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. oh, go ahead. tell us a little bit about the university. So it's a small, very, very small institution. Yeah, there are about 2,000 students. Wow. Um, 
we have we actually have a graduate program, so we have a few graduate programs. Um, we have one of the things that's really cool is that um, Mount Mercy. So it was founded 86 years ago by the Sisters of Mercy. So it's it's a Catholic institution. Um, the convent is actually attached to the library, um, which is kind of fun. The library is like tucked in between the convent and the the chapel. So um, sometimes you'll have nuns wandering through on their way to mass and prayers and things like that. So it's just really cool. Nice, actually. It is. It's very pleasant. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so there's there's also a lot of adult students, um, a lot of non-traditional students. So it's it's really a really neat um, institution with a really neat background. Um, So the Sisters of Mercy were founded by Catherine McCulley, this Irish woman, um, and and they have this really, really cool focus on sort of the intersection of education and poverty and immigration and racism and women's rights. I mean, it's it's really cool to see this coming out of, you know, this old patriarchal tradition that there's yeah. this, huh. um, very, very cool focus. So, you know, I see a lot of students, you know, bringing their small children into the library to study Um or grandchildren, which is really cool when a, you know, a grandparent comes in and is like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, you can just sit here and play with your iPad and I'm going to do my homework. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, it's really neat. Are those focuses reflected in the kinds of programs and curriculum that are offered? Yeah. So some of our our biggest programs are nursing and education um, and business. Hmm. So it's kind of this, yeah, it's an interesting combination. We have a master's uh, MBA program and a master's of science and nursing program and a master's of family, marriage and therapy, family. Wow. You know what I mean? Marriage okay. and family therapy. Yes. <laughs> <We got it>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's so there, um, there are those folks. And I mean, of course, there's the traditional liberal arts degrees of English and ner- history and I mean, also criminal justice and social work. So it's pretty cool. Um focused on on creating professional on giving students professional access I would say mm-hmm. um, but within this setting of a, of a liberal arts college so that they do learn about the the critical concerns of mercy about you know well what are you going to do with your business degree to help women and to help the environment and to help children and to solve problems around poverty and immigration and racism and it's really cool that's so great that that's like an explicit focus mm-hmm. yeah huh wow so I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Is there is there a like a a good gender divide among students? Do a lot of male students still go to to Mercy? There are some. Um, I'm I'm not sure what the exact uh, breakdown is. There are definitely more women than men mm-hmm. um, with our gigantic nursing program. That you know, as there are more men in the nursing program than there have been in the past, but it's. Mm-hmm you know, a few every class. Yeah. So, yeah. Kind of like uh, librarianship. So <laughs> yeah, very, very like librarianship. Um, uh, so, okay. So I'm curious about the faculty then. So a lot of your job is helping them incorporate technology. Yeah. So obviously that there's this sort of support for things like Blackboard end of it, but are there more, I don't know, curriculum or assignment based ways that you help them incorporate technology into the classroom? Yeah. Um, so actually in the coming month, I've got a couple of presentations to classes. So, um, 
one faculty member was looking for collaborative software, which is what <laughs> prompted me to get in touch with you guys. So I'll, I'll do a presentation to our class about how to use Google Drive. You have it <laughs> with your student email. Here's how you do it. <laughs> um, but also, so, you know, finding interesting ways. So I had a, actually a English professor is doing a class on African-American poetry and literature. And she wanted to get, um, she wanted to find a way to share, you know, without destroying copyright to share audio poetry with her students. Um, Mm. so that was a really fun project this summer. I worked with her on, you know, finding a way to do that. Um, what did you end up doing? What we ended up doing was, um, creating flash drives that were, so there, there were very few students in the class, but the flash drives are basically on loan to the students so that they can listen to that music and pop poetry. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it was an interesting little, like, you know, this is educational use. It mm-hmm. is allowed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did those then become part of like your library's collection or anything? Or was that just a one-off kind of thing? It was, it, they're actually part of the professor's personal collection. Oh, so okay. she's loaning them her personal flash drives. So like mm-hmm. course reserves almost. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. So. Yeah, which is, yeah, which was a, a fun solution. Um, and it yeah. sounds like there's, it's sort of a small and personal enough environment that you can really tailor those solutions, like that people can sort of come yeah, to you exactly. on a one-off basis and say, this is the thing I want to do. Exactly. Which yeah. is sort of an ideal role for a librarian, like at bigger institutions, we wish we could do that for everyone. I'm sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it is, it's really, I really like I like, I love it. I should say when faculty call and they say, so I'm, I hope I don't take too much of your time. I'm like, no, I take all my time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but they, you know, they always have like, I'm, so I think this is kind of a weird problem and sometimes it is a really weird problem, but you know, we find a way to make it work and it's really fun. I don't know. Find those, yeah. Find those solutions and the thing the thing I hate hearing on the reference desk the most is I'm sorry to bother you. I'm like, no. Yeah. yeah you're not bothering me. Literally the you, reason they pay me to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. It is. It's so funny because so many people kind of start and I I mean I think partly it's just the politeness culture of like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to interrupt anyone that's like I've just been waiting to be interrupted all day. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I, I wonder if it's my screen right now, you would see that I was shoe shopping. <laughs> so uh, the LA sitting exactly. next to me last night was literally doing that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Actually. Um, no, it's funny. I wonder if some of that's like the, the culture of assuming that librarians are doing things with the collection, like assuming that that's the biggest part of our job, if you don't yeah. know much about what our job is, when really we barely touch the collection, most of us. Yeah, the liaison librarians do a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. So, okay, Nadia, I'm curious too, like, your friend was talking about how his perception was that you're in IT. Which it definitely sort of sounds like. Do you know anything about what the motivation was for the school to have a librarian in that role? Um, I think part of it, honestly, was that my predecessor was brilliant with computers. Mm. Um, And and she and I think the IT department is chronically overworked Mm. as any IT department at a nonprofit is. Um, And and colleges and universities are nonprofit. So, um, you know, there's, so that's part of it. Um, 
And I think part of it was was that hope that with a librarian doing it, there would be that educational focus. So mm-hmm. not just yeah. on solving the problem, but on um, creating something new um, and hoping that the problem doesn't come back again. And I mean, of course, there are there are faculty members who, you know, every semester they just call and say, OK, how do I do this again? And <laughs> and that's fine. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, that's and so that's part of it too is that oh yeah I know I know you and I know how you like to learn and I know that you know you're going to resist being in the driver's seat but it's the only way you're actually going to know how to do this so you're going to sit at your computer and I'm going to sit next to you mm-hmm. and we're going to do this hmm. um, so, so I think that's part of it so there's sort of a one-on-one and then also a class level kind of educational aspect to the job yeah, I think so. And um, and what I'm hoping to do more of, and I've done a few of them, is to do kind of hands-on workshops. So having faculty come in to a computer lab and sit down and, you know, I do a little demo and then everyone just sits around and plays with different system tools. Mm, and yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of both. And, and it is, it's actually a lot of one-on-one instruction, which has been really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Even when, yeah, it is the same, you know, like one of the same people over and over with the same problem. Like, I know you've told me how to do this, but I have a lot of other things in my giant professor brain and I can't mm-hmm. remember this one. Um, so, And I, th- I think it's really, really smart to, uh, to put a librarian in that role because it also, um, you know, it, it does put the library at the center of learning, which is where it should be. I mean, exactly. if your Blackboard mm. program is uh, you're administrating the content management, you're you're administrating the, the the learning management. I mean, that's really that's that's a great way to to show students and to show faculty that that the library is something that they can use. It's something that's there yeah. for them. It's not yeah. this weird antiquated entity. It is something that you need. So but it I sounds love that. like you're using a lot of the sort of needs assessment and getting to know your community and doing, you know, reference interviews. Like it sounds like those skills are very much in play. Definitely. Definitely. I think the, the class that I am probably using the most honestly is the instructional role of the librarian class. Nice. Um, just because I, I've done so many like little lesson plans and sometimes it is for those one-on-one sessions where, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to go through these things. Um, hmm. We yeah. were in that class together, weren't we? Yeah, we were oh. with Eric. <laughs> I've done so many online tutorials. You don't even know. Like, Oh, my God. I funny. use Camtasia. I, <laughs> I actually spent a month this summer um, with one of the, our reference librarians going through and creating little um, instructional videos on, you know, one to two minutes on how to use how to use every database that we have. Oh, it nice. was great. <laughs> and those all like available on the university's website or on the library website? Yeah, they are. They're on the library website. And we actually have embedded one. That was another one of my like three day long trying to figure out how the system works problems. <laughs> um, but we actually embedded uh, how do I find library resources video into every class on nice. my campus on That's our great. Blackboard program. Fantastic. So um it's it's hopefully it's been helping. I think I'll I'll have to ch- sit down and chat with Anna, the reference librarian, because she says, you know, this is the question I get every like every other mm-hmm. day. Someone says, how do I find? How do I get onto this database that I have a password to? And it's well, the passwords are all housed in your class on my campus, and you can mm-hmm. look right here. And 
So I, I'll have to ask her if she's had fewer of those questions, um, more <laughs> of the like in-depth reference questions. Yeah. So um, what is your like what is your team size like? So there's you and there's a reference librarian. Are there any other librarians or administrators? Yeah, so there's a library director. Hmm. Um and there's there's a daytime reference librarian and an evening reference librarian. And then there's um there's a librarian who he's the circulation manager. So okay, yeah. mm-hmm. working a lot with the work study students to just make sure that everything is going smoothly. Um and and doing ILL as well. And there's an evening supervisor, and she actually has an MLIS, um, although she didn't need it for this position. So we have six, is that right, um, full-time professional librarians. Nice. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a cute little team. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, well, and Anna, the evening reference librarian, also does cataloging. Um, our cataloger retired uh, in the spring, so Anna's taken over those responsibilities as well, which is amazing. She she moved up from part time, so oh okay, yeah, nice. Oh, so she's not just having it heaped on her. That's nice. <laughs> yes, yeah. It wasn't just like so. We know you're already doing, you know, forty hours of work a week. But <laughs> we want you to do the same number of hours, but twice as much work. Yeah, exactly. Which definitely which happens is, a lot. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So she at least she got that full time status. So that's really cool. So what um. I, I want to just ask quickly before we kind of wrap up, what would the job hunt process was like for you coming out of school? Because like, how did, how did you find this job? What attracted you to working with such a small institution? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit, I mean, it felt like it took forever when I was searching for a job, but I'm realizing more and more now that I, I was very lucky that I, you know, for one thing that I had parents who were like totally willing to let me move back into my old room um, <laughs> and be, you know, completely unemployed and then very much underemployed for a while. Um, but so the way that I actually found this job was my, my mom suggested, why don't you just go and look at every single college and university in Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin? And I was like, that's terrible. That's a terrible idea, but I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> because I need a job. <laughs> um, and she was right. My mom was right. I want to go they on the record. Always are. <laughs> it was it was a great idea. I, I'm making my mom out to be a much meaner person than she is. <laughs> it was the, it was the best idea. Um, so I I looked at you know all of the universities and colleges in Iowa, and this one said you need an academic technology librarian. Um, and what what attracted me specifically to Mount Mercy was their mission statement, actually, um, hmm. which included reflective judgment as part of a liberal arts education, which I thought was so important and something you'd never see. Um, you know, it also had the service and the, you know, educational leaders, things like that. But to have that reflective judgment as part of it, because I think that's so key to actually library work, you know, to be able to say and evaluate, um, you know, resources and thoughts and ideas and, to, to decide reflectively mm-hmm. and with wisdom, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, uh, that was a big part of what attracted me to this position. Um, and actually, yeah, I had, I had applied to a few similar positions. So there are other colleges and universities in the Midwest that have, um, have a, a position like this um, where there's a librarian in charge of really, yeah, it things. Um, 
the system. I mean, it sounds like a growth area for academic librarians. Like it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's I mean, it's incredible because it does give us this opportunity to be embedded in classes that is so crucial, you know, that students can actually trust us to to know what they need. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that you can spend enough time out there, especially with such a small student body, relatively speaking, to like be the face of the library to the faculty yeah. and students. That's great. Yeah. Huh. I've, yeah, I've had a lot of fun um, working, especially when I get to work with students on their, you know, exciting projects. There was a group of education students who were doing, who did a panel on bullying and they wanted to make a really beautiful video and we were able to, you know, sit down and work on that together. So I got to be kind of the video production <laughs> end of things, which <laughs> is not awesome. something I have ever done, but it was really That's fun. Awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah that's sort of at the like the assignment creation and or the assignment doing end are yeah. there do you find that the faculty at your institution come and talk to you or the other librarians at the sort of assignment design end like when they're deciding what the content of their courses are going to be sometimes they do yeah um especially when they're like i know they need to know how to do this but i don't know how to do this yeah, like yeah. give a dynamic presentation that lives online you know hmm. um Things like that. Um, I've done a lot with Prezi, which is funny because I hate, I like never like to do like Prezi or PowerPoint <laughs> in grad school. Like, I think you guys can remember this. I don't think after our, you know, Space the Camp, the reference collection, I think I did one PowerPoint. <laughs> I still, I still have Space the Camp, the reference collection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's in my, it yeah. lives in my Google Drive. Yeah, it's definitely. totally in my Google Drive too. <laughs> I, I have a hard copy. Oh, yeah. That's oh, right. That's <laughs> With the Star Trek fonts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, times. I just, you know, that wonderful shirt that I got to wear, about <laughs> sending a chicks to the moon. And oh, it was, that was Prezi, too much fun. Prezi makes me nauseous. It makes, yeah. It's it's because people don't know how to make a good Prezi. Uh, like, it's good to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to, bl- like, it's not Prezi, it's people. Okay. That's <laughs> Don't hate the if, game, hate the player at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With Prezi, at least. Um. So, yeah. I mean, I guess one final, or it doesn't have to be final if you have more you want to talk about, but question would be sort of, especially for our listeners who are still in library school or still searching for work, like, what do you find that you're using the most from your time in library school? Like you talked about the instructional role of the librarian course and how important that was. Is there anything else that you kind of learned or experienced that you find yourself drawing on? Yeah, I think I think um, that class in particular, in my particular role, has been um, so important. I'm trying to think. I, I know there are others, but... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. It's been like, what, a no, year? No, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, I think... I think, yeah, instructional role, learning how to to do reference interviews. Yeah, it's really, I mean, the Mm. core. I know, like, we hated it when we were going through it, but a lot of those core skills, even um, thinking about about social media and library presence in social media, which I believe we Mm -hmm. did that in one of the core classes. I can't remember which one. Yeah, we did that in, I think... 500, right? The sort of mm-hmm. foundations of information technology course? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of those core things um, have have been hmm. what I've used and, yeah, an instructional role. And, and I mean, I think a lot of other um, classes were useful, not exactly in the like nitty gritty of the content, but in just the process, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, we certainly got made to do a lot of presentations, which sounds like it would yes. be a useful experience in your job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think I, I think that presentations are useful no matter what your position is, because it gives you that confidence of knowing enough about what you're talking about to share it with someone, mm-hmm. even if it's one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that's yeah, even though and even though, well, I, a lot of people would, you know, whine about the num- amount of group work and group presentations. It really is. Mm so important (laughs) you're never i've i have found that even when i'm working alone i'm rarely working alone you know like i always have people around who have insights and um you know there's always a team element i've i've never you know yeah (laughs) i I wonder sometimes if part of the like meta lesson of making us do so many presentations and maybe this is just a happy coincidence. Maybe they didn't plan it this way, but coming into library school, you are a person who is already a relatively high achiever. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you have to, you know, work alongside and learn from all of these other high achievers and sort of <laughs> respect yeah. their point of view and allow them to take the lead sometimes and that's a really good environment for learning how to be a good colleague. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> it absolutely is. I, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, there are some like very like specific content things, learning how to make lessons plan, lesson plans and do the needs assessment and things like that, that I have found myself using a lot. Um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank yeah, you for, for having me on. It's great to... job. I'm so yeah. happy that a job like that exists and is growing and is happening in more places. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's and I, sometimes I honestly wonder if I got it because I was young and they sort of assumed, oh, she's a young person, she knows computers. <laughs> but, um, hey, take any advantage you got can get. It. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, whatever it was, um, I'm really I'm really lucky to have found this job. Definitely, mm-hmm. so. Well, (laughs) belated congratulations. And and thank Thank you again for coming on to talk to us about it. Thanks for for having me. It's always (laughs) nice to talk to you. (laughs) It's always so nice to talk to Nadia. Yeah. And and it's always so great to hear people are doing well. And yeah. And that like these cool, like really useful positions exist, both because Mm -hmm. they're useful to like the user population and because they're using librarian skills. Yay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I kind of want that job now. (laughs) It does sound pretty awesome. (laughs) So much room for like experimentation and trying new things and supporting Mm -hmm. people one-on-one. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, Yeah. I'm super, super glad she was willing to talk to us about that. Yeah, for sure. To like check back in later as the, as the position evolves and she has Mm -hmm. more experience working with different types of faculty and, yeah, absolutely. Sounds amazing. So how's our what's going on on our social media? Uh, so things are just sort of on a steady uptick. Um, we've got <laughs> 645 followers on Twitter. So hey. welcome all. If you've joined us in the last couple of weeks, good to have you on board. Um, and Tumblr, which, you know, I am on there so often. <laughs> it's basically just my crap a lot of the time but it is our <laughs> tumblr officially <laughs> um, we do do show news through there as well and it is sitting at uh, 457 so again welcome aboard to those who are joining us this week uh and yeah i mean those are basically our two like big pieces of social mm-hmm. media um but you yeah. can also check out our website sslibrarianship.com for all of our contact info uh to find out where we are on social mm-hmm. media to send us an email 
And yeah, also, you can also comment on uh, particular episodes if you wanted to give us feedback that way. If, if 140 characters doesn't quite do it for you, um, you can always give us comments on the actual episodes. Um, but while you're there, um, we would also love it, love it, love it if you could help support the show. Um, we have buttons for sale, uh, just little lapel buttons, which are super cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also uh, have a donate link. So if you, you know, if you have, uh, if you'd like to support the show, um, we we would really appreciate any any donations that that you can provide. Um, we'd also love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. I know iTunes isn't necessarily everyone's preferred um, preferred social or you know preferred way to listen to podcasts, um, but it is still one of the biggest discovery methods. So the more ratings and reviews we get, uh, the better the show can become so mm-hmm. um, if you can go and rate us and review on iTunes that would be fantastic uh, you can grab that link off of our website as well yeah and I mean making the show better through all of these feedback methods also means you know letting us know what you don't like or what you wish that we do go back to and do more of or what didn't work for you um, we are open to all forms of feedback it all helps <laughs> us make the show better and more relevant for sure Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So I guess all that's left this week is to thank Jonathan Colton, as always, for the use of our theme song, Glasses, off the album Artificial Heart. Um, Our our hotel is officially booked for Harry Potter World. And I'm so looking forward to this trip. And uh, I'm not. (laughs) I'm so jealous. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think as we get closer, I'll, I'll start I'll start dropping some nerd names on here about who's going to be there. So far, uh, Joko, probably John Roderick, probably John Hodgman. Sometimes that should be should be good times. And I guess then that's it for us this week, guys. Um, enjoy the fall foliage mm-hmm. because it is certainly fall foliage now. <laughs> and uh, we will catch you on the so much to say, I forget to start. There goes 